The scripture reading this morning is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for your attendance with us. If you're visiting, we're most happy to have you, and we encourage you to come back and be with us. We'll be here tonight at 6 o'clock, Lord willing, and we'll be talking about another one of my favorite chapters out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, if you'd like to read and study that this afternoon, and come back and be with us tonight, and let's study that together. It'll be even better as we prepare ourselves to worship God then. Thank you for coming, and I encourage you to be back tonight. I'd like to express my appreciation for the good singing. Thank you for that, uh, Jonathan, for the leadership, and And for all the men who've had a leadership role, the prayers, the scripture readings, the Lord's Supper, thank you for the very fine way that you lead us in worship today, and it's always a very important matter. Uh, What I'm looking at today is a discussion about fellowship, and this does have some tie with sermons that we have been discussing and studying together. And I think the quintessential chapter on fellowship and the book would have to be 1 John, and it really starts off that way, 1 John chapter 1, fellowship, such an important matter to be together, to work together, and have a proper relationship with God. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems as though at Christmas time and the holiday season, Broadway really gets busy with traffic, and maybe it's just me, but it seems like it's really hard to negotiate the streets in this town when you're involved in the holiday, and one busy, busy place would have to be the post office. And so when I go to the post office, and uh, that's my job, you know, run errands for the family, and whatever Carol needs done, I'd go and do it here and go and do it there. And uh, I'm in the post office, and uh, there's a long line. And the post office people are doing their best. I mean, you've got four people up there, they're working, 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 and they're handling everybody, and it's going well. It's to just to turn in to get into the parking lot is a hard thing, and then the line's just about out the door, and, and you're working your way around, working your way around. Finally, there's one older lady in front of me, and I'm ready to get up there, and somebody takes, she goes to somebody, and I'm waiting for another person to leave so I can get in that spot and take care of the, the mail. And over her, this lady postal person told the lady, she said, now, you could go to the stamp machine and get stamps right over there. 
And she said, yes, I know about the stamp machine, but the stamp machine wouldn't ask me about my arthritis. Uh, you know, there's a personal touch there. We just, she's wanting some human contact. I, I think I've, we've all felt that at one time or another. It's really an impersonal world, isn't it? Sometimes we really miss out on the fellowship. It's an impersonal world. You can transact all kinds of business with just a few numbers and a password on a computer. I guess you can just trans- you can do all kinds of business on a computer. Do whatever you want to as far as business transactions are concerned. You can get your lunch out of machine. You can get your blood pressure taken at the, po- at the, at the drugstore. And when's the last time you ever talked to an operator on the telephone? I don't remember doing that in a long, long time. The worst kind of incarceration for the criminal is solitary confinement. Take him away from everybody so that there's no fellowship, no give and take with anything. Our relationships are important. And fellowship is something that we desire and we need. Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 7, No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We desire the fellowship, the camaraderie, the give and take, the back and forth. I'm in 1 John chapter 1. In this particular passage, he's talking about the fact that either we're in fellowship with Christ or we're not. Either we're in fellowship with God or we're walking in darkness. He uses the phrase walking, which conveys the continual living of the Christian life. Either we're living in darkness or we're living in the light. What kind of fellowship do we have? Isn't this a great book of the Bible, First John chapter 1? He talks about, in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, reminds you of um, the gospel of John and the way it starts back at the beginning. The beginning there does not mean the beginning of the physical life of the Lord. The, the beginning there goes back to before creation, that which was from the beginning. God has been revealed by means of Christ. The word of life. Jesus is described in verse 1 as the word of life because life comes from him. The word of life, he's the source of it. The life was made manifest. The word manifest means revealed. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, that with the Father, face to face with the Father from all eternity that we would be seen, we have seen and heard, auditory, visual evidence, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have, watch it now, fellowship, contact, relationship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What joy we can have in this fellowship. It would seem in a very impersonal world where machines just about do everything. That the idea of fellowship with God and one another would be a treasure and something precious that we would desire. This is the message 
We've heard from him proclaimed to you, verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship. What a very sweet thing that that is. Either we're walking in darkness or walking in light, he said. If we're walking in the light, we have the fellowship. If we walk in darkness, we don't have that fellowship. We lie and we do not practice the truth. A person that's in darkness, that's the worst kind of state that one can be in. Because it's going to determine your direction and it's going to determine your destiny. Sometimes we walk in darkness. Have you ever tried that? Where you come home late at night and the lights are out and you're looking for the light switch and you're in the dark there for a minute. You finally find the right key and get the door open. You're walking, you're trying to find it, and you, you thought the chair was over here when really it's right here. And, you, and I hit, I mean, you hit the chair with your toe, your big toe, and you crack your nail, the toe, the big nail on the big toe. And then you feel like kicking the chair across the room where you really wanted it to be to begin with. Have you ever had that happen where you tried to walk in the darkness? I have. But I tell you what, a cracked toenail will heal by itself. But a soul that's in darkness and broken cannot be healed by itself. We need the blood of Christ to cleanse and cleanse. Because broken souls don't heal by themselves. And fellowship with Christ just doesn't happen. It's something that must be pursued and followed according to God's divine will. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. We are either practicing the truth or we're not practicing the truth. We're either walking in the light or we're walking in darkness. One of the things I hate to do when I go to another town, and Carol will attest to this, is stop and ask for directions. I feel like I can figure it out for myself. And after a while, a long while, she convinces me, stop and ask somebody. And I'll ask someone. And depending upon the age of the individual person, if it's a young person, they don't know how to get there. If it's an older person, they can probably tell you. Have you ever gotten a stranger to give you directions and he gives you the wrong directions? And it doesn't come out like it's supposed to? Well, I've had that happen. I suppose you've had that happen too. And we're going in a certain direction, but we're going in the wrong way. We thought we had good advice. We thought we had good directions in the matter. But it's wrong directions, and we're going the wrong way. We're practicing the error. Has that ever happened to you where you were practicing error? You thought you were right, and you thought that what you were doing was a good thing, the correct way. But you realize later, I was going the wrong way. I didn't have the right destiny. Uh, if I kept going this way, I'd never find that goal. I'd never find that place. I didn't have the right 
direction in mind, but I've learned better. Sometimes people practice that. He says here that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If there is something amiss in my understanding, then I need to get rid of it, and I need to correct that according to what the Bible has to say. You see, I'm studying about fellowship, and I'm looking at it from the standpoint of this great chapter on fellowship, 1 John chapter 1, and I'm right in the heart of it, verse 6. I'm trying to say that these things can happen to us if we're not very careful. But what we need is the blood of Christ to cleanse our souls from sin, the continual cleansing and cleansing and cleansing. And that's the idea of verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus his son cleanses. Old King James English would be cleanseth. The E-T-H ending was a way of trying to distinguish the present participle. Here in more modern English, the E-S ending cleanses, simply saying it keeps on cleansing and keeps on cleansing. That's what the blood of Christ will do if I'm walking in the light. You see, a Christian person who's walking in the light has a different outlook and a different approach. His soul has been purified. We look upon ourselves differently because we're Christians. Because we're Christians, we look at life differently. Because we're Christians, we look at everything differently. Because we're Christians and we're walking in the light and we have fellowship with God, we're looking for the day in which we will see God and be with God and worship God in that uh, long shore over there. But the person who's not a Christian fears God and he fears the day of judgment. Because on that occasion, he's going to have to give an account for everything that he said and everything he's done. But the Christian who walks in the light has fellowship with God, has received the grace of God, and receives God's forgiveness. It's a different way of life. It's a different approach. It's a different way of looking at things when you have fellowship with God. Another great passage about this matter would have to be Ephesians chapter 2, and I identified for you beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember. Now this is the way it used to be, remember. He says, remember that you were at that time. And I'd like to emphasize the words that he uses. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, in Ephesians 2 and 12, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a sad predicament to be in. I would think it would be very sad for a person to have no hope. You know, sometime in the darkest of the night and you wake up and you think, no hope, no hope, because I'm outside of Christ and I don't have fellowship with God. And I'm still in my sins. And there is no hope in this condition. 
they were separated. To say separated meant that they were strangers. You at one time were strangers. You didn't have fellowship with Christ. You didn't have fellowship with God. You were a stranger. You were a pagan, alienated. You weren't a citizen of the kingdom, the commonwealth of Israel. You, were, you didn't have any citizen rights there. You were strangers. Why? You didn't know anything about this promise. You didn't have any connection to the promises of God. And for that reason, you had no hope and you're without God in the world. That's what it is to walk in the darkness and have no fellowship with God. That's a terrible predicament to be in, spiritually speaking. To be separated from Christ, you don't have any of the blood of Christ. You don't have the benefit of the blood of Christ because you're separated, alienated. You're not a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, You're a stranger. You don't have any part in the promises of Christ, and you have no hope, and you're without God in the world. It's a terrible predicament to be in. But the point he's really making is from the standpoint of God. It's not that God was a stranger to me. I was a stranger to him. And he looked upon me as being separated and alienated and a stranger. And he looked upon me as having no hope and being without Christ. But notice, even though I'd love to look at the context even further, I'll jump to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit of the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, now because of our obedience to Christ and the gospel of Christ, we're no longer looked upon by God as strangers and aliens. We're looked upon as members of the family, looked upon as part of the people of God. Verse 17, Jesus came, and Jesus preached peace. And when we obeyed it, that made all the difference in the world. Because now, that means I'm no longer a stranger. We are no longer aliens outside of Christ. For me to be a stranger and an alien means that I don't have the blood of Christ. Now I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus came and established his kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Upon this rock I build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of verse 19 in that passage is the church of verse 18. The church of verse 18 is the kingdom of verse 19. I'm thinking about Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and verse 19. Now I'm a part of that kingdom. That kingdom has a head, that king, which is Jesus Christ the righteous. And I'm answerable to him. I'm a citizen of that kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. Now that I have fellowship with God and fellowship with Christ, and I'm in a new relationship with Christ because of the new birth and my obedience to the gospel, now I'm a citizen of the kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. And it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter anything about ethnic, uh, the um, racial background, the ethnic background that I might have has everything to do with my repentance of sin and being baptized into Christ and accepting the terms of God's grace through my obedience. I'm a member of his family. 
when you start talking about family, you start talking about something very near and dear to us. Children. Born into the family. What a great day that is. Been born into the family of God. What a great day when an individual puts the Lord on in baptism and he rises up to walk in a newness of life, in a new way of living, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. One's been added to the family. Isn't it a great day when a family has a new baby, a new arrival? Isn't it a great day when the body of Christ has a new arrival, a new child who's been obedient to the gospel? Glory be to God. And the Bible says that the angels in heaven in glory rejoice when one repents of his sins. What a great day that is. You and I have experienced that, where people have been added to the body of Christ here, and they've been obedient to the gospel. What's taking place? A new fellowship with God is now created. A fellowship with Christ. And now one is the recipient of the blood of Christ, and is a part of the family of God. And what a a great thing that is to be a Christian, have that fellowship. Ah, but there's things that threaten this fellowship. And the one great thing that fr- threatens this fellowship is sin and iniquity. The word sin is a word which means to miss the mark. Hamartia is a Greek word. Not that that matters so much, but it does help us understand the nature of the word sin. It's not a word you hear very much. You see a lot of it, but don't you, you don't hear the word sin that much. The word iniquity means to be bent in the wrong direction. You're bent the, this way. God wants you this way, but you've bent over in the wrong direction. Sin and equity will destroy the fellowship that we need that's so important. The poor little old lady who said, yeah, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis is begging for some kind of fellowship and camaraderie. And we need it. We need this fellowship with God. It's so essential. It's so important. And we need this fellowship with one another to encourage us in the matter of our fellowship with God and going to heaven as we desire. That's my intent today, is that everyone here would so seek and desire this fellowship with God and reject this matter of sin that everyone would go to heaven and everyone be saved. But the Bible is telling us sin is a threat to this fellowship which you so desperately need and you really desire. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, why God can still bless you, but he won't because your iniquities have separated you from God. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And that separation... That iniquity, that sin destroys the fellowship that we've come to enjoy in God Almighty. In 1945, they erected an iron curtain. So many people were leaving uh, communist East Germany and coming to the freedom of the West that they erected the iron curtain. It was a large concrete wall They claimed that 
they were doing it because so many people were trying to get into communist East Germany. The truth of the matter is people were seeking freedom and trying to get out. So to stop that, they built that concrete wall, a separation. 1991, that wall came down. It was a very interesting thing for me. I was in um, Simi Valley. I was visiting the Reagan Library in Simi Valley. And there on the backside, which is a beautiful place, and on the backside there of the Reagan Library is a portion of that concrete wall. It was a massive thing. I don't see how anybody could crawl over the top of that thing. But it is standing there as a monument to the work of Reagan in bringing that wall down so that these people could be reunited again, east and west, could be brought back together again and would not be separated because of uh, the communist ideology. Separation is a terrible thing. The only, I don't know of a good thing that separation can be said of it other than separation from sin. When you separate people and family members, it's a bad thing. Sin separates us from God. And that's what Isaiah was saying. I found a passage in Jeremiah chapter 7, and the passage is verse 16. It's a very interesting passage. As for you, do not pray for this people. You might find it unusual that God is telling Jeremiah the prophet, don't pray for them, or lift a, up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Now, you have to read the rest of the context found in Jeremiah chapter 7 because in the context he's saying these people are so hard-hearted and rebellious. Don't bother about praying and interceding for them because I'm not going to hear it. They have separated themselves from me. The sin, the iniquity is so great in their life and so they're so determined to do this that if you do pray for them, I will not listen and I will not heed. That's what sin does. It destroys the fellowship that we so desperately need. A great passage on this matter is James chapter 4 and verse 4. And James is very fond of asking questions. And he begins that chapter this way with a couple of questions. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? James 4 and 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And here's the point. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, I'm talking about fellowship. And this particular point, this Bible passage is telling me how that is destroyed. Fellowship will be destroyed when I try to make myself a friend of the world. Now, it's not talking about you might have occasional friends on the job or at the workplace or in life. And that you might even have a good influence on those friends. But when you start participating in the things of the world and doing the things of the world and acting like the world and talking like the world and thinking like the world, well, it's enmity with God is going to destroy this fellowship. Another great passage I think we ought to consider carefully, Second Peter chapter 2 and 20. 
As you turn to this passage, it's very clear that he's talking about people who at one time had fellowship with God, but have lost it. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, verse 20, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. They're worse off than before, before they'd obeyed the gospel. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And now he gives us a vivid graphic depiction of how that situation is like to God. And I hate to read it, but I have a duty. And it's found in verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And he's describing sin, destroying fellowship, the wonderful relationship that we have with God and with Christ and with one another has been destroyed by sin in the most despicable type of terms. But yet God is trying to help us see what it really happens here. It's worse off than before. The dog returns to his own regurgitation. And the sow that was all clean now goes right back to the old mud hole. It's clear we can lose it. And we've got to be careful that doesn't happen. We've got to be so careful that we do not fall away from the Word of God and lose the wonderful fellowship that we have with each other and the wonderful fellowship that we have with God. He says, here are people who have done it. You would think, how can anybody lose this precious thing? But they have... Galatians chapter 5, he's talking about people who so enamored with the old law that they tried to incorporate circumcision as an element of faith. He says in verse, I'll start with verse 1, for freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It testifies again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. Now what he's talking about there is some people had this idea that circumcision was a part of the plan of salvation, that you had to be circumcised to be a New Testament Christian. And Paul says, no, that's not part of the plan. Now he's not talking about the matter of expediency, whereby Timothy was circumcised in order to expedite his preaching and teaching to the Jewish people. But he's talking about a doctrinal matter whereby they were trying to incorporate that as a doctrinal truth and so you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. No, that's not a part of the plan. It was like hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, be circumcised and receive forgiveness. Circumcised was never a part of that divine plan. But if you're going to try to put man-made doctrine into the plan of God and the gospel of God, you are severed from Christ. Galatians chapter 4 at 5 and verse 4. Severed means cut off from. You've lost the fellowship. You can't do it that way. 
still be pleasing in the sight of God. Things that threaten <coughs> our fellowship with God. Sin and iniquity. What do we do? What are we going to do about this matter? Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. We've got to be restored. We've got to repent. <clears throat> We've got to come back. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted I mean, Galatians 6, verse 1, and he's talking about restoring fellowship now. What can thwart it? Sin and iniquity is going to thwart it. But what can restore it? Restoration. Repent of the sin. Now, I want you to notice very carefully in this passage, I mean, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, it happens. It happens where people commit sin. It happens. All of sin have come short of the glory of God. It's going to happen. And what should our attitude be in a case like that? I oh, mean, I always knew you were that kind of guy. No, an arrogant attitude like that is not the kind of attitude we should have. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Verse 1. Why? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Next time it could be me. And I need to be very careful about how I act and very careful about how I teach and very careful about how I restore that individual. If with arrogance and a pretentious type of attitude, if I approach him from the standpoint or her that I'm so perfect that this would never happen to me, take heed for we can all fall. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a fellow there. I'll not turn to that passage because of the time. But there's an example, a case point of that actually happening. Where Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 and 2 says, Now fathers, uh, you're married to your father's wife. And the text is not really clear whether they actually married her or just living with her. But Paul makes it very clear even the Gentiles wouldn't put up with that. You need to repent. It can happen. Repent of the sin and be restored. What are we going to do to restore this fellowship? We get the sin back out of our life and we do it God's way. Sometimes false teaching will come up into the matter. And sometimes people, for a lack of ignorance or, I mean, a lack of understanding and thus ignorance or just whatever the situation, maybe it's pride Maybe it's jealousy. I don't know what the actual cause might be. We'll take hold of a false issue, and that needs to be corrected. This is what we have to do to restore the fellowship. I'm looking at 2 Timothy, and I've referenced it for you. Chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And 25 correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. There's any number of passages that could be cited, but this surely speaks to the issue that these are salvation issues and they need to be repented of. 
Well, as long as someone is sincere, as long as someone really believes what they're saying and they're sincere about the matter, isn't that enough? That is the popular view. The popular view is if you're really sincere and you believe it strongly, it must be true for you. The truth of the matter is it, the error must be repented of in order for fellowship to be restored. This is what we have to do. We have to repent of the error. And may our hearts be so sensitive and tender to the teaching of the Word of God that we will follow it wherever it leads, that we will not put pride and prejudice and ego in front of God's inspired Word, that we will follow it and follow it exclusively so that we can be pleasing in the sight of God. Love does not allow us to sit quietly back while a loved one is falling away due to error because we love him and we love truth and we love God we correct the false teacher someone once said and this did not happen to me but someone once said this and I was really impressed with it man said to his friend it's a good thing to have forgiveness and to be forgiven from sin. And the friend said, I know something just as great. And he said, what's that? The companionship of the one who taught you the truth and saved you. Fellowship with one another. And fellowship with God. May we strive to be pleasing in the sight of God. This is too precious to lose. My point here today is that everyone within the sound of this weak voice have peaceful, loving fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to love him. I encourage you never to lose it. I encourage you to cultivate the relationships which we have with each other and to go stronger in our love for God Almighty and for his word. Without my obedience to the gospel, I do not have the blessed benefit of this fellowship. Without my repenting of sin and confessing of my faith that Jesus is the Christ and raised from the dead by the power of God, I don't have the blessing of this fellowship. Without my being baptized into Christ and repenting of the sin that has led me up to this point, I don't have this blessed fellowship that I can have. And so I encourage you to do that today, to obey the gospel. If you're not a member of the church of the Lord, maybe you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, how important this fellowship is between us, but we are a brotherhood of brothers and sisters together, a common fellowship because we have fellowship with God. We invite you to be a part of that fellowship by your repenting of sin and confessing faith and being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Will you not do it today? Become a child of God. If you've been unfaithful, then won't you repent of that today? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, be restored.
be reunited with this wonderful fellowship and do it now while together we stand and while we sing.